Chapter Fifteen of Craddock Noel, A Tale of the New Forest, Volume One, by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter Fifteen. On the morning of that same day, our Amy, at her father's side, in the pretty porch of the rectory, uttered the following wisdom: "Darling Papples, Papalikidian." is there any other diminutivical half good enough for you or stupid enough for me my own father that's best of all you must not ride coribus to-day amy amata paramata ami aim of my life amicula in the name of sweet sense why not because pa he has had ten great long carrots and my best hat full of new oats and i know he will throw you off scrupulum ungestisi i shouldn't like to come off to-day and it rained the night before last so said the rector proudly contemplating a pair of new kerseymeres which channing the clerk had made upon trial nevertheless i think that i have read enough on the subject to hold on by his mane if he does not kick unreasonably and if he gives me time to soothe him that horse is fond of greek and after all the ground is soft no dad i don't think it is prudent and you won't have me there you know my own pet that is too true and with all your knowledge of riding why my own seems quite theoretical by the side of yours and yet i have kept my seat under very trying circumstances you remember the time when coribus met the trahia yes pa but he hadn't had any oats and i was there to advise you true my child quite true but i threw my equilibrium just as a hunter does and i think i could do it again i bore in mind what xenophon says pa here he is and he does look so fat i know he will be restive prepare your aunt doxy's mind my dear not to scold more than she can help in case of the worst i mean if the legs of my trousers want rubbing how rash of me to be sure to have put them on to-day prius demontat i trust sincerely and old channing is so proud of them and he says the cut is so fashionable nevertheless i heard our clayton as he went down the gravel walk treating with what he himself would have called colores orationis upon uncle john's new bags as opposed to trousers i was glad that the subject possessed so lively an interest for him notwithstanding which i was very glad mr channing did not hear him the impudence well i am astonished and to see the things he brought back from oxford quince-coloured with a stripe that wide like one of my fancy gourds i'll be sure to have it out with him no i can't though i forgot and amy looked down with a rosy smile remembering the delicacy of the subject but i am quite sure of one thing pa mr craddock would never have done it rebus don't kick up the gravel do you suppose we can roll every day oh you are so fat you darling when the sides are deep said the rector quoting from xenophon and somewhat protuberant at the stomach the horse is generally more easy to ride what a comfort amy stronger moreover and more capable of enjoying food he has enjoyed a rare lot this morning at least i hope you have you sweetest 
Why, Pa, I declare you are whistling. It also behoves a horseman to know that it is a time-honoured precept to soothe the steed by whistling and rouse him by a sharp sound made between the tongue and the palate. Oh, father, don't do that. Promise me now, dear, won't you? I will promise you, my child, because I don't know how to do it. I tried very hard last Wednesday and only produced a guttural, but I think I shall understand it after six or seven visiting days, at least if the air is sharp no pa i hope you won't it will be so reckless of you and i know you will get a sore throat sweet of my world corcordium you have wrapped me with three involucres tighter than any hazelnut they will all go into my pocket the moment i am round the corner no daddy you won't be so cruel and after the rhyme this morning rebus will tell if you do won't you now my pretty Coribus was a handsome pony, but not a handsome doer. He could go at a rare pace when he liked, but he did not often like it. His wind was short, and so was his temper, and he looked at things unpleasantly. Perhaps he had been disappointed in love in the tenderness of his youth. Nevertheless, he had many good points, and next to himself loved Amy. He would roll his black eyes, put his nose to her lips, and almost leave oats to look at her. His colour varied sensitively according to the season. In the height of summer, a dappled bay, towards the autumnal equinox, a tendency to nuttiness. Then a husky bristle of deepest brown flaked with hairs of ginger. After the clips, a fine mouse colour, with a spirited sense of nakedness, fierce whiskers, and a love of buck jumps. Then, ere the blessed Christmas tide, nature began to blanket him with a nap the colour of black frost, and so through the grizzle of spring he came round to his proper bay once more. Amy declared she could tell every month by the special hue of Coribus. But, albeit she was the most truthful of girls, her heart was many degrees too warm for her lips to be always at dew-point both in the stable and out of it that pony had a bluff way with his heels which none but himself thought humorous he never meant any harm however it was only his mode of expressing himself and he liked to make a point when he felt his new shoes tingling but as for kicking his amy he was not quite so low as that he would not even jump about when she was on his back more than was just the proper thing to do to display her skill and figure Oh, you sad Coribi, always brought him to sadness, and he expected a pat from her little gloved hand, and cocked his tail with dignity the moment he received it. Nevertheless, for her father, the rector of the parish, he entertained, when the oats were plentiful, nonconformist sentiments verging almost upon scepticism. He liked him, indeed, as the whole world must. He even admired his learning, and turned up his eyes at the Greek but he was not impressed as he should have been by the sacerdotal office fatal defect of all he knew that the rector could not ride john rosedew was a reasoning man and uncommonly strong in the legs but a great deal too philosophical to fit himself over a horse well he had written a treatise upon the pelethronian lapiths which he could never be brought to read before a learned society he knew all about the olympics and pythics 
and xenophon gave him a textbook but for all that he never put his feet the right way into the stirrups look at him now said john as the boy led the pony up and down while amy was knotting the mufflers so that they never might come undone again how beautifully xenophon describes him when the horse is excited to assume that artificial air which he adopts when he is proud he then delights in riding becomes magnificent terrific and attracts attention and again persons beholding such a horse pronounce him generous free in his motions fit for military exercise high-mettled haughty and both pleasant and terrible to look on pleasant i suppose for other people and terrible for the rider but why our author insists so much upon the horse being taught to rear gracefully i am not horseman enough as yet to understand it has always appeared to me that coribus rears too much already and then the direction but if after riding and copious perspiration and when he has reared gracefully he be relieved immediately both of the rider and reins there is little doubt that he will spontaneously advance to rear when necessary what does that mean i ask you i never find it necessary except indeed when the little girls jump up and pull my coat-tails in their inquisition for apples and then i find i am always afraid that they may suffer some detriment but let us not overtask his patience here he comes again jem my boy lead him up to the chair any jam in your pocket father no my child not any your excellent aunt eudoxia has it all under lock and key now i will mount according to xenophon though i do not find that he anywhere prescribes a windsor chair when he has well prepared himself for the ascent let him support his body with his left hand and stretching forth his right hand let him leap on horseback and when he mounts thus he will not present an uncomely spectacle to those behind there i am up most accurately excellent horse and great writer and now for the next direction we do not approve of the same bearing a man has in a carriage but that an upright posture be observed with the legs apart how could they be otherwise pa when the horse is between them your criticisms are rash my child jem how dare you laugh sir i will buy a pair of spurs i declare the next time i go to ringwood good-bye darling aunt doxy will take you up to the park when the sun comes out to see all the wonderful doings i shall be home in time to dress for the dinner at the hall sweet amy kissed her hand and curtsied as she loved to do to her father and after two or three wayward sallies repressed by jem with the gardening broom coribus pricked his little ears and shook himself into a fair jog-trot so with his elbows well stuck out and shaking merrily to and fro his right hand ready to grasp the pommel in case of consternation and one leg projected beyond the other after the manner of a fowl's side-bone away rode john rosedew in excellent spirits to begin his wednesday parochial tour being duly victualled and thoroughly found for a voyage of long duration and considerable hazard the good ship john rosedew set sail every wednesday for commerce with the neighbourhood this expedition was partly social partly ministerial and a great measure elemosinary and entirely loving and amicable 
there was no bombardment of dissenters no firing of red-hot shots of papists no up with the helm and run him down if any man launched on the mary magnum or any frail vessel misstays and yet there was no compromise no grand circle sailing no luffing to a trade wind straight was the course and the chart most clear and the good ship bound with favour of god for a haven beyond the horizon barnacles and vile teridos algae and desmidious trailers i doubt if there be more sins in our hearts to stop us from loving each other than parasites and leeching weeds to clog a stout ship's bottom nevertheless she bears them on beautifies and cleanses them until they come to temperate waters where the harm has failed them so a good man carries with him those who carp and fasten on him content to take their little stings if the utterance purify them the parish of nolha straggles away far into the depths of the forest to the southward indeed it has moorland and heather with ridges and spinneys and views of the sea and fir trees naked and worn to the deal by the chafing of the salt winds but all away to the west north and east the dark woods hold dominion and you seem to step from the parish churchyard into the grave of ages the village and the village warren the chase and the hall above them are scooped out from the forest shadow in the shape of a hunting boot lay the boot on its side with the heel to the east and the top to the north and we get pretty near the topography the village scattered along the warren forms a foot and instep the chase descending at right angles is the leg and ankle the top will serve to represent the house with its lawns and gardens the back scene may run as the little river which flows under Knollhurst bridge the shank of the spur is the bridge and road the roll the church and rectory away to the west beyond the toe some quarter of a mile on the ringwood road stands a smithy kept by the well-known roger sweetland who can outswear any man in the parish and fears no one except bull garnet our sketchy boot will leave unshown the whereabouts of the garnet cottage unless we suppose the huntsman to insert just his toe in the stirrup then the top of the iron rung will mark the house of the steward a furlong or so northwest of the village with its back to the lane which leads from the smithy to the hall and this lane is the short cut from Knollhurst hall to ringwood it saves three-quarters of a mile and risks a little more than three-quarters of the neck large and important as the house is it has no high road to ringwood and gets away with some difficulty even towards lyndhurst or lymington bull garnet was always down upon the barbarity of the approaches but sir cradock never felt sore on the subject save perhaps for a week at christmas-tide he had never been given to broad indiscriminate hospitality but loved his books and his easy-chair and his friend of ancient standing the sun came out and touched the trees with every kind of gilding as john rosedew having done the village and learned every gammer's aloverishness and every gaffer's rheumatics drew the snaffle upon coribus alongside of job smith's pigsty and plunged southward into the country he saw how every tree was leaning forth its green with yellowness even proud of the novelty like a child who has lost his grandmother and though he could not see very far 
he observed a little thing which he had never noticed before it was that while the other trees took their autumn evenly the elm was brushed with a floor of gold while the rest of the tree was verdure a single branch would stand forth from the others mellow against their freshness like a harvest sheaf set up perhaps on the foreground of a grass plot the rector thought immediately of the golden spray of aeneas and how the brazilian manga glistens in the tropic moonlight then soothing his pony with novel sounds emulous of equestrianism he struck into a moorland track leading to distant cottages thence he would bear to the eastward arrive at his hostel by one o'clock visit the woodman and home through the forest with the evening shadows falling End of chapter 15